I'm Brad from Heinemann, and today on the podcast, we have a sample from the newly released audiobook of Writing Unbound, how fiction transforms student writers, read by author Tom Newkirk. Writing Unbound builds an argument for bringing fiction back into our writing curriculum as a way to strengthen all writing. In this preview, Tom describes the vast opportunity found in fiction writing and what we lose when we don't embrace that opportunity in our classrooms. If you'd like to hear more, you can head over to our new audiobooks feed where you can browse our full catalog and listen to more samples. Just search for Heinemann Audiobooks wherever you listen to your podcasts. Chapter 1. Writing Unbound. The Missed Opportunity of Fiction Writing. The following interaction is from the 1984 film The Neverending Story. Bastion, how many wishes do I get? Empress Moonchild, as many as you want, and the more wishes you make, the more magnificent Fantasia will become. In the summer of 2004, my wife and I attended a Boston Red Sox game where some filming for the movie Fever Pitch was being done. After the singing of the national anthem, The Door of the Green Monster, a 35-foot wall and scoreboard in left field opened and a man with a sock shirt and chinos began a slow, labored walk toward the pitcher's mound. It was Stephen King, the limp caused by a horrific 1999 accident in which he was hit in the breakdown lane. The other driver was traveling, as he often did, in the wrong lane. King remarked that it was as if one of his own demented characters came to life to injure him. As he walked the 300 feet to the mound, the crowd rose and applauded him. Soon we were all on our feet in sustained appreciation. I wondered if any other author could receive such a tribute from this crowd. J.K. Rowling was the only name I could come up with. Even if those standing had not read Christine or The Shining or other novels he had produced in his amazing career, they had seen movies and TV series. They may have been aware his stories were the basis for two superb movies, The Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me. We may have been sharing his recovery from the accident, or perhaps his legendary generosity in his home state of Maine. Maybe all of that. Whatever the reason, we knew that here was a man who had created a thrilling vision of horror. Like Rowling, he had created a world, a kingdom. I once had a student who claimed that we love horror because it makes us feel fully present. Nothing exists outside that moment of terror. We feel fully alive in our bodies. It affects our mind, heart, breathing, and skin. King takes us there. He writes for us. And, for the record, he threw a strike. While King is a model for a virtual army of young and not-so-young writers, his brand of fiction has little place in the high school English reading curriculum and no place that I can see in the writing curriculum. In fact, fiction writing disappears from our educational system around middle school, if it survives that long. The common core standards generally ignore it, along with narrative in general in the upper grades. At this stage, writing is colonized, controlled by the literature curriculum, and the focus often contracts to the analysis of literature. Mercifully, there are exceptions the multi-genre paper, and the elective creative writing course, which is often the first course to be cut in a crunch. But the fiction writing that does happen is usually off the formal educational grid. And off this grid, writing is plentiful. The main fan fiction website contains 817,000 pieces written off the Harry Potter books and 220,000 off the Twilight series. Over a million fictional pieces from these two series. 
Percy Jackson's spin-offs are near the top of the list with 72,000, as are those built off The Hunger Games at 45,000 and The Lord of the Rings at 55,000. There are even submissions using the Bible, about 4.1,000, and Pride and Prejudice, about 4.9,000, and this is just for books. Two popular TV series, Glee and Supernatural, both have more than 100,000 entries. Video games also spawn fiction with over 82,000 for Pokemon and 73,000 for Kingdom Hearts. More recently created sites, Quotav, Wattpad, an archive of our own, have similarly huge numbers and attract writers from across the globe. We can predict an exponentially greater number of unposted stories created by loyal followers. Even in those schools that employ writing workshop approaches, fiction writing is marginalized or avoided. With memoir or personal narrative and later on the informational report or argument holding center stage. Often this personal nonfiction is perceived as more authentic than fiction, especially high fantasy, which is seen as derivative. In college, a student normally has to take at least up to three preliminary nonfiction writing courses before being allowed to elect a fiction writing course, assuming one is available. And even then, it is unlikely they would be able to attempt popular forms like the graphic novel. All of which leads to a question that has puzzled me my entire career. If reading fiction is beneficial, if, as some research indicates, it builds empathy, reading stamina, vocabulary, and cultural knowledge, if it, as Julianne Chiat writes in Scientific American, provides entry into appealing, vicarious worlds, why can't the same be said for writing fiction? Am I missing something here? In You Gotta Be the Book, author Jeff Wilhelm has shown that readers need to be the book, to feel present in the book, and writers can also be the book as in the case of one young student named Mike. I interviewed Mike about his creation of Jojo, the junk food ant, a recurring character in his stories. Here's how our interaction went. Mike, sometimes I feel like I'll write about this little ant named Jojo, a junk food ant, and he goes on these little adventures and usually gets hurt. So sometimes when I write about him, I make him like talking. I feel like I'm him, like when the Red Sox hit a grand slam and he gets caught on the ball, I feel like I'm flying through space, like this. He leans back in his chair and mimes holding onto the baseball. Me. So when you're writing, you feel like you're in the air? Mike. Yeah, when he gets hurt in the air, I'm kind of like up there. I'm Jojo. Obstacles and resistance. Teachers themselves have had little experience writing fiction. This is a variant of a bigger problem that English teachers are rarely required to take writing courses as part of their preparation. At the University of New Hampshire, where I taught for 37 years, the only required writing course for prospective teachers was first-year writing, and that was required of all students. This is an example of the reading-writing imbalance. It is exceedingly rare that a prospective teacher would take the prerequisites that would enable them to register for a fiction writing course. And it is, as I noted earlier, unlikely that they will be taught versions of fiction that their future students will want to write. The fiction writing that students choose to do is often imitative of low-status forms of entertainment. Young writers are drawn to plot, to action, to writing versions of movies and video games that appear, to a certain sensibility, as less authentic than nonfiction genres, like the memoir. Borrowing characters and plot elements and weapons from pre-existing stories violates an expectation of originality 
and personal examination of experience, as if the memoir is not itself a pre-existing genre. Popular youth genres, particularly those selected by boys, have traditionally been labeled escapist. One of the least attractive traits in adults is the inability or unwillingness to imagine literary gratifications that we don't feel, though we perhaps once did. And then to rationalize this inability, this limitation of imagination, as a claim that certain popular genres are incapable of eliciting thoughtful engagement. We fail to decenter, to take an inquiry stance, to learn why someone might enjoy a literary genre that we don't or won't. Some genres of writing, we come to believe, are capable of eliciting complex responses, and some aren't, by their very nature. This view has been powerfully challenged by a number of scholars, most notably Janice Radway in her sympathetic investigation of women reading romance novels in her 1984 book, Romancing the Novel. My own approach is deeply indebted to the work of Jeffrey Wilhelm and Michael Smith. In fact, my own title mirrors theirs, as does my argument. In reading Unbound, Wilhelm and Smith begin with a set of provocative questions. Quote, Might kids gravitate to the kinds of texts they need? Might they experience a deep fulfillment that we don't completely understand when they read those books? Might passionate readers of marginalized texts, those books that many parents and teachers disapprove of at some level, be choosing books that help them build on new interests, become competent in new ways, and grow beyond their current selves? End of quote. Yes, yes, yes. They found that even genres we might dismiss as superficial and escapist, like vampire stories, could elicit profound reflections on sexual attraction. Texts do not set hard boundaries on what readers can do with them, a fact driven home to me when I listened to literacy expert James G. spend a brilliant hour on an aspirin bottle label. An argument for fiction writing can mirror the one Wilhelm and Smith made for the reading of marginalized genres. Young writers who devote themselves to seemingly endless post-apocalyptic stories are gaining something by it. And to understand that gratification, we need to ask them questions. We cannot presume to know their realities. Inexperienced writers have difficulty managing plots, leading to unplanned and excessively long stories. True, true, true. But there are ways, including storyboarding, that can help with planning. In addition, there are very popular short forms like flash fiction that can be introduced. Yet I would like to make the case for this long writing. When I speak with the really fluent and accomplished writers who have taken my first year writing course, many of them could look back to a time when they wrote at length. Maybe a journal they kept up or a long novel they wrote with a friend, chapter after chapter. Unlike many of their peers who panicked about meeting a page requirement, these writers had an expansive sense of what writing could be. They had felt that openness, that the blank page or screen was an invitation and not a threat, that writing could unfold. They had trouble staying within the page limit, a good problem in my view. I realize it may seem like I am supporting overwriting, and I am. Almost all good young writers push description and dialogue and plot to the limit, often boring to any outside reader. It's the same with athletes. Watch promising middle school athletes. They will often charge into a hopeless layup, dive for a ball clearly out of reach, attempt the impossible pass. Often their bodies are not under full control. Their game is excessive. Yet that daring, that excess, that lack of caution is a virtue. 
Good coaches know that. Control will come later, in the same way the overwriter can be taught to control the gift of excess. But the underwriter has no awareness that this excess is even a possibility. But even this inevitable difficulty can be helped by instruction and planning tools, as we will hear in the interviews with skilled teachers. Concepts like plot beats drawn from screenwriting can be attractive supports. When students have difficulties inherent in a task, the solution is not to avoid the task, particularly one as appealing as fiction writing. The proper response is to offer support, and we will meet teachers up to that challenge. If you enjoyed this sample of Writing Unbound, head over to Heinemann.com slash audiobooks to learn how and where you can purchase the full audiobook. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom underscore Newkirk or visit blog.heinemann.com to learn more about his work. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. It is produced and edited by Steph George. Sound mixing by Steph George. Our creative producer is Lauren Audette. And our executive producer is me, Brett Whitmarsh. To learn more about the Heinemann Podcast, visit blog.heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.